0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, the 39th chapter. I really enjoyed the last three weeks as Caleb ministered through Genesis and talked about Joseph, began our our discussion of Joseph. And then last week we looked at Judah and Tamar, which seems kind of like it's oddly placed there, falls right in the middle of the story of Joseph, but it's really not. Oddly placed when you realize that had God not done what he did through Joseph, Judah would never have survived, Christ would have never been born, and we wouldn't be here today talking about Jesus. But God always has a plan, and God always has a purpose in all things. Amen? And that's what I want to talk to you, to, uh, talk to you about today. So Genesis 39, I <clears> want <throat> to, um, to read the chapter to you, it's 23 verses. So follow along. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass that after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look. My master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Now then, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, He has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So I want you to know, We see this in Joseph. So Joseph, remember, was cast into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. We go back to the beginning of Joseph's story, and we see that Joseph is 17 years old. He's had dreams. He relays these dreams to his family. His family despises him because of his dreams. And when the opportunity arose, the brothers cast him into a pit sold him into slavery, and thought they were done with their brother. In chapter 39, we pick up Joseph's story. He's sold by the Ishmaelites into slavery, into Egypt. So let me quote to you Genesis fifty twenty. This was kind of, this is the scripture, this is the theme of the story of Joseph. And Joseph says this to his brothers, But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So here's what I want you to know. God is always working good for his children, even when evil works against them. And this is what I want you to take away from our message today, that God is is always working a greater salvation than we know. God gave Joseph the dreams that ultimately led to Joseph being sold into slavery into Egypt by his brothers. But the scripture tells us that God was with Joseph. And specifically, the scripture reveals that Joseph was sold to and from this this specific information, we see that God was preparing Joseph in ways that Joseph could not know or foresee. Joseph was sold to Potiphar. Joseph was sold to a man of Pharaoh's court, a captain of the guard, the Bible says. We see that when Joseph is sold into slavery, Joseph is stripped of all, of everything from his previous life with his family in Canaan. And Joseph was left with his dreams, but more importantly, Joseph possessed his faith. Joseph never lost his faith in everything that he went through. And so we see that In unseen ways, God was ordering Joseph's steps in all things to bring about his divine purpose. Notice some details here. Joseph was taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Do you realize that anyone could have bought Joseph? It didn't have to be an Egyptian. It could have been anyone for any purpose, but it wasn't just anyone, and it wasn't for just any purpose. A specific man bought Joseph for a specific purpose. No doubt Potiphar had a purpose in buying Joseph, but what was even unknown to Potiphar was that God had a purpose in Potiphar buying Joseph. And it didn't take long. And the Bible says that Potiphar, his master, saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that Joseph did prosper. And so Joseph found favor in the sight of his master and Joseph served him. And that master made Joseph overseer of his house. And he gave Joseph so much authority in his house that the Bible says the only thing Potiphar knew about the working of his house was the bread that he ate every night. All he knew is that when I come home from doing my service to Pharaoh, Joseph's going to have my supper ready. And Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything else in the house, the Bible says. That's how much trust that Joseph had with this man. And the Bible also tells us that, that trust and that authority that was in, given over to Joseph was the favor of the Lord. It was the favor of the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph. God caused Joseph to be sold into the house of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. This was a man in authority. This was an officer in the court of Pharaoh and a man that would unknowingly, listen, Potiphar would unknowingly prepare Joseph to take a position of authority even greater than Potiphar's. That through the work in Potiphar's house, Potiphar was preparing Joseph to become second in command in Egypt. Listen to this quote from one commentary. The age, the appearance, and intelligence of the Hebrew slave would soon cause him to be picked up in the market, but the unseen, unfelt influence of the great disposer, that's God, drew the attention of Potiphar towards him in order that in the house of one so closely connected with the court he might receive that previous training which was necessary for the high office he was destined to fill. And in the school of adversity, learn the lessons of practical wisdom that were to be of greatest utility and importance in his future career. Thus it is that when God has any important work to be done, he always prepares fitting agents to accomplish it let's go back to the beginning of joseph's story when he just simply leaves his house one day at his father's command to go check on his brothers and the sheep and joseph had no idea that it would be 7 13 years before he would ever see his father again He had no idea that in that simple act of obeying his father to go check on the sheep, his brothers with murderous intent would sell him into slavery to be rid of him for good. But God knew. Because God's divine purpose and God's divine favor are always at work. Now, being sold into slavery, being cast into a pit, listening to your brothers argue whether you should be killed or not doesn't seem like divine favor. But remember what we quoted in Genesis 50, verse 20. At the end of everything, Joseph understood it was the divine favor of God that caused him to be cast into that pit, sold into slavery, come to his position in Egypt, and save many people alive. And not just save them in Egypt during that seven years of famine. But to save us alive today because he preserved the line of the Messiah. And we are here today because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because Joseph was cast into a pit on one certain day. We're here because of Joseph's, some would say misfortune... Or we could say because of the favor of God that worked through Joseph's misfortune. The Lord was with Joseph leading him through the school of adversity, putting him in places and in positions that Joseph would never be able to put himself. Have you ever seen? Have you ever noticed that God does that with us? He puts us in positions and situations that we would never put ourselves. And that's exactly why God d- does it, because God knows that we would not put ourselves in certain situations and cer- certain circumstances. So the Lord does with us. He puts us in places and in situations we would never put ourselves. He takes us through the school of adversity, but he is with us and his mercy and his favor are never far from us. Whether we find ourselves in the dungeon or in the palace, whether we're in the pit or whether we're in the palace, God means it for good, even when others mean it for evil. The recurring reality of divine purpose and divine favor worked in all of Joseph's situations. We can see this throughout this chapter. It says the Lord was with Joseph. That's divine purpose. Joseph found favor. That's divine favor. We see this throughout in every situation in Potiphar's house when he's cast into prison while he remains in prison, forgotten by everyone that could possibly help him. But yet God's divine purpose was working. And in just the right moment, God's divine favor would kick in so that Joseph would just happen to be at the right place at the right time in the right situation. Now he didn't just happen to be. God put him there. God preserved him there because God knew that day would come because God, just like God gave Joseph those dreams concerning his family, God gave Pharaoh those dreams concerning, concerning the famine, concerning seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. And God put Joseph right in the only place Place he could possibly be to fulfill the divine purpose and save many people alive. Now you you and I might think of scenarios of how we would have done that differently and that's our failure. But God knows, just think of all the circumstances leading up to Joseph being in that prison in Egypt. Let's start back at in the beginning. God said let there be light. And there was light. And in all the things that had to take place. Is that just happenstance? Is that just coincidence? No. That's the author of the great story. Writing the story. and ordering. and arranging all things. You or I. No doubt would not write the story the same way. But we are so short-sighted, we are so limited in our ability and in our knowledge and in our vision. We would just make a big mess of the story. But here is God, the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of Joseph's faith, writing the story. Putting Joseph where Joseph would never put himself. Elevating Joseph to positions that Joseph would never have been able to attain to on his own. Saving many people alive in a way that Joseph would never have been able to imagine, nor anyone else. This is the work of God. This is God's divine purpose and God's divine favor. Joseph passed from the very throes of death in a pit to become the very one possessing the power of life and death from the throne of Egypt. This is God's divine purpose and God's divine favor working by the hand of a sovereign God. This is what Christ has done for us. Listen, church. Christ has passed through the throes of death and ascended to the throne of God, now possessing the power of life and death. As the Lord is with us through all things, even through every trial and tribulation, we have the assurance of victory because of what Christ has already done and because of what Christ has already won. God has revealed his divine purpose and shown us his divine favor in sending his son. You never have to wonder whether you have God's favor because God has sent His son. And if you are trusting in Jesus. You never have to wonder whether you have the favor of God. I don't care what has happened. In your life. In Christ. God has given you. His favor. That is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Jacob was, Jacob, listen, Jacob, the father of Joseph, sent his son to check on his sheep. And Joseph went in obedience. But Jacob and Joseph had no idea what was about to happen. Only God knew the full plan and the full outcome of that fateful day when Jacob sent his favorite son to check on the sheep. Egypt had no idea who had entered her borders and did not care at all who Joseph was. Yet, yet, there was a day when all of Egypt came to know who Joseph was and they cared greatly who Joseph was. But when Joseph came to Egypt, no one even knew he existed except the brothers and the father. One father mourning his loss, the other brothers glad to be rid of their dream, their dreamer, their troubling brother. But think about this, the father sent the son on behalf of his sheep, Jesus went in obedience and the Father and Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. The rulers of this world had no idea what would take place when the Son of Glory was to be crucified. Only God, three in one, only the Father, the Son, and the Spirit knew the full plan and the victorious outcome of the incarnation and the cross of Christ. Joseph was humiliated. Jesus humbled himself. Joseph put on a coat of many colors as a sign of authority and favor. Jesus put on a coat of humanity as a sign of lowliness and humility. Both Joseph and Jesus were despised by their brothers. Joseph became the victim of murderous intent. Jesus became the victor in his obedience even unto death, even the murder of the cross. Pharaoh exalted Joseph and gave him the second highest name in Egypt. God has exalted Jesus and given to him the name that is above every name in heaven and on earth. And by grace through faith, we too are given that name. Through weakness, through the weakness of the cross, we come to possess the power of and authority of Christ. Jesus said, in what we commonly call the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. That is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, giving to us that authority to go in his name and to preach the gospel, to make, Disciples to baptize and to teach them all things that he has made known to us. In Christ, God gives us his name with kingdom authority. We are called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting that God will lift us up in due time. This is what Peter writes in his epistle, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. As we are humbled before God, he gives us more grace. That's what God does. He gives more grace to the humble. But God resists the proud. This is what James tells us in his epistle in James chapter 4 verse 6. What is the conclusion we should come to? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and trust in His abundant and abounding grace. We have been created for God's divine purpose. We have been given God's divine favor in Christ, and we can be assured that the Lord is with us always. He is always working His divine purpose, always giving His divine favor, and always bringing about His eternal glory in all things concerning His children. We know this is true because God did not withhold his only begotten son. He has freely given the son and he has freely given us all things in the son. God has not withheld even his son from us. Therefore, we have no reason to fear, but we can be secure in his perfect and complete love that has been freely given to us in Christ. So Paul writes in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Or in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 12, Paul writes, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God as a nation as a people, as a church, as families, as individuals, right here in Taylor, Texas, God is working his eternal purpose, providing his grace, filled favor, and doing all things for our good and for his glory. We know this is true because we know that Jesus came, we know that God freely gave the Son. So here's the question, do you trust him? Do you have the faith of Joseph better yet, do you have the faith of God in Jesus Christ? Do you know that God is working all things together for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose? Do you love him? Do you know that you are called according to his purpose? That is the promise that God has given to us in Romans eight twenty eight. I want to read to you Romans eight twenty eight, but I want to read it in the context of Paul's letter, not the whole letter. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole book of Romans to you. Though that's what the book of Romans is. It's a letter. It's a long letter, but it's a letter. Let me just read part of this letter to you. Let me read Romans chapter 8, and let me begin in verse 26 and read to the end of the chapter. Listen to these words of encouragement and hope and promise from the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Let me ask you, let me stop there and ask you, when does the Spirit of God ever stop making intercession, praying on your behalf, the answer is He never stops. The Spirit of God praying on your behalf, interceding on your behalf is not dependent upon you, it's what the Spirit does in you, on your Behalf. This is what Paul is writing here. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, we know that all things, listen, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph didn't have Romans 8, 28 to read in his dungeon, but he had the faith that gave him the promise that Romans 8.28 is conveying to us through the words of the Apostle Paul. Joseph absolutely had Romans 8.28. He just didn't call it Romans 8.28. He called it faith in a sovereign God who he knew was somehow ordaining his circumstances, though he certainly did not know everything God was doing. And he certainly must have wondered why God. Is this happening to me? But he did not lose his faith. And I want to encourage you. Child of God. Do not lose your faith. For whom he foreknew. Listen to this promise. He also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn. Among many brethren. Moreover whom he predestined. These he also called. This The Bible is talking to us. It's talking to the children of God. Listen to this promise. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you see the progression? Do you see the promise of God? Do you see where God is bringing you to? He's bringing you from nothing to glory. who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, for it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing. That means you can't even do it to yourself because you are a created thing. I want you to know that God has got you. If you are his child, he has you. You are in his divine purpose. You have his divine favor. You might feel like you are in the pit, but I'm telling you what, God has a plan. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul gives us the picture of God's complete and victorious love for us. He shows us the good working of God's divine purpose in the lives of His children in spite of the evil working of men and demons and our own sinful nature. Paul in the scripture boldly proclaims the providence of God, working in the love of God in all things as he is causing his children to be conformed to the very image of the son of glory. Do you love God? Do you love God? Then know that God loves you. This is what 1 John 4.19 says. For we love him because he first loved us sometimes people say pastor Jeff how do I know God loves me my response is always do you love God yes I do then know that God loves you because you could not love God if God did not love you first doesn't mean we don't have questions about God doesn't mean we don't have questions about our situations and our circumstances I'm sure Joseph had plenty but you having questions And you wondering why is vastly different than you not trusting God. And it comes to a point in our life when we have to say it doesn't matter whether I have the answers I want or not. I will put my trust in God because I know who God is. He is the sovereign who sits above all things. And if God loves you, then you have no reason to fear. If God is for you who can be against you the answer is no one can be against you no one can prevail against you if god is for you there were plenty of people there were plenty of powers and principalities against jesus but they could not and they did not prevail against him there may be people against you there is no doubt a devil who is your enemy and your adversary, who is against you. But he cannot, listen to me, church, he cannot prevail against you because God is for you. And God has already prevailed on your behalf and carried you to victory and you may not even know it. We are created for his purpose And for his glory, God has given to Jesus the name and the authority above all that name and that authority belongs to each one that is in Christ. And God gives you his name and authority to do his will and to have an assurance that God is working out his eternal will, his eternal purpose through your life. You are the vessel of clay that he created to place his spirit within God has ultimately done this for His glory. You were created for His purpose and for His glory. That's why you exist, for His purpose and for His glory. And whatever God does in your life, whatever He allows in your life, even when others mean it for evil, He does so with His eternal purpose in view and His divine favor in hand. And from the pit of To the palace, God is working all things for good and for his glory. Paul writes this, he commands this, in fact, that in everything give thanks. Let me quote it to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you notice there is no condition there. In everything except, it doesn't say that. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Take heart, rejoice, and in everything give thanks. In Christ, God is for you, and no one can prevail against you. The Lord is on the throne. He reigns as supreme. He is the sovereign over every situation, over every circumstance. He is the sovereign over all. There is no man on earth, there is no devil in hell that can thwart his divine purpose and glory. His victory and your own is never in question. Trust Him as He works out His divine purpose for His supreme glory through all of your life, the bitter and the sweet of it. And life involves both. And know that His favor, His mercy, and His abundant grace are always yours in Jesus Christ. In Joseph's deepest, darkest place, He did not lose faith. We know this because we see the glorious salvation that God brought through Joseph in Egypt and beyond. And we know this because we see the glorious salvation that God brought through Christ in the cross. We have an even greater reason to hope and to trust. We are not looking ahead to a Christ who has not yet come. That's what Joseph was doing. Joseph had a reason to hope and a reason to trust, and he was looking ahead to a Christ who had not yet come. We are on the other side of the cross. We're not looking to a Christ who is to come. We're looking to a Christ who has already come. We know he will come again because he has already come. You need to be you need to you need to catch this reality. We know there will be a second coming because there was a first coming. Joseph looked to a Christ who had not come yet. We are standing on the other side of the cross in a new creation. That's exactly what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are standing in a new creation on the other side of the cross, looking back to an incarnation. Christ came, Christ conquered, Christ reigned supreme. His coming again... Putting death ultimately under his... That's a foregone conclusion. There is is no question about that. It is as certain as the sun setting and rising today and in the morning. You're not going to worry about whether the sun's going to rise when you go to bed tonight because you have absolute faith that it will. And I'm telling you what, do not worry about whether Jesus is going to come again. He is absolutely going to come again. We know that because he is... Already, because the sun has already dawned. He dawned at the incarnation. And at the cross, he defeated his enemies. At the cross, he ushered in a new creation. At the cross, he made it possible for you and I to die and to be raised in resurrection life and resurrection power. And that life can never, ever be taken from you. We just read what Paul wrote. It's eternal life. It is Christ, our shepherd, our great high priest, our elder brother, our friend, our savior, and our king who sits enthroned and glorified and reigning supreme as Lord over all. Joseph is a picture of Christ, a type and a shadow, if you will. But we no longer look to Joseph. We look to Christ by faith. Joseph saw Christ who would one day raise him up in glory to a greater place than any place Egypt could provide for him. Hebrews eleven twenty two. it says, By faith Joseph asked that his bones be carried out of Egypt when the children of Egypt left. That means Joseph knew there was a day coming when all the children would be there and all the children would leave there. And he said, Carry my bones away. Why would that matter to Joseph? Because Joseph saw by faith the Christ who would cause him to be raised in glory one day. I'm going to tell you right now, if you are in Christ now, you have been raised in glory. This body right here, yeah, it'll put on glory one day. But what's more important than what's going to happen to this body is what's already happened to you. If you have been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. And the only hope you have of this body being raised to glory and to eternal life is because you've already been raised up in Christ. You've already been seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 2. So Joseph is a picture. but Christ is what we should hold in view. What does Joseph teach us? Listen to this. I want you to hear this very clearly. If you think Joseph's story is in the Bible to teach us how to gut it up and endure hardship and suffering, then we've not only missed the point of Joseph's life, we've missed the point of the entire Bible. Because the point of Joseph's story is not just to teach us how to gut it up and endure hardship. The point of Joseph's story, like all of scripture teaches us to look to one greater than ourselves. Joseph, teaches us to look to Christ. Joseph teaches us to hope in Christ. Joseph teaches us to trust in Christ and to remain fixed on Christ regardless of what our situation or circumstance may be. That we remain fixed on Christ as the only hope and salvation that we have. Joseph teaches us of a salvation that is greater than we may know. Salvation is not simply escaping hell. Salvation is to know and experience the purpose, the favor, the mercy, the grace, and the life of God in Jesus Christ. Not one day in heaven, but right now. The hope you have is not one day in heaven. The hope you have is right now. Yeah, but Pastor Jeff, I feel like I'm I'm living in a pit right now. Listen, in the pit. The hope you have is right now, not one day in heaven. It's right now. Jesus is not in heaven waiting for you to get there so he can give you hope one day. Jesus is with you right now. Just like the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph right there in Egypt, right there in the pit, right there in the slave caravan, right there in the dungeon, right there on the throne, ruling and reigning in Egypt. Joseph was there, but he was not there alone. The Lord was with him. You're here right now in whatever situation and circumstance you might find yourself in, but you're not alone. The Lord is with you right now. Salvation is to know this reality that right now in these bodies on this earth, with fullness of joy for all eternity. God is with us. He is our life. He is our salvation. Salvation is to know his love, his joy, his peace, his patient long-suffering, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control, that you would know that in your life, that you would demonstrate that and manifest that In your life, we are to know this not as a measure of our righteousness, but as a measure of his life that works in us. It is his life that sustains us and strengthens us and upholds us and saves us. It is his life that gives to us the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy and the fullness of his peace and so much more. And it makes it our very own. Jesus said in John 15, it's recorded there. I tell you these things that my joy may remain with you and that your joy may be full. God gives this to us. It's his, but when he gives it to us, it becomes our own. His peace is your peace. His joy is your joy. His love is your love This salvation we have in Christ carries us when we don't know we're being carried it directs us when we think we're going our own way it corrects us when we don't know that we need correcting it endures even when we feel we cannot endure it is a salvation of spirit of soul and of body it is eternal Which means it is now and it is forevermore. This salvation is our eternal life and the glory of God revealed, secured, and made known to us in Jesus. This is the salvation that has become your life. My friends, this is Jesus. Salvation is not what you possess. It is who possesses you. Jesus is your salvation. The point of Joseph's life is to point you to salvation. It is to point you to Jesus. Do you know this salvation or do you simply know of it? If there is any doubt, I want to encourage you to cry out to God that He would make known and make sure to you your salvation in Jesus. Can we all stand? And you can cry out to him right now, right where you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would peel back the layers and open the chambers of our hearts and make known to us and make known in us Jesus Christ, the salvation of God. Whether we are in the pit or in the palace, Reveal to us our desperate need of the Savior and his salvation. Give us the grace to rejoice and to give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for your children. Amen. Here's my charge to you that you would not look to the scripture simply as a source for greater endurance or compliance in the faith but that you would look to the scripture to see Jesus in Christ. You will not only find your endurance and compliance, but as you begin to see him with more and more clarity in the scripture and in your life and all the circumstances that surround your life, you will begin to know and experience the salvation of God in a deeper, richer and more full way. You will come to know the joy of the Lord that is your true strength and you will come to trust in a God that cannot be thwarted in his divine purpose and in his eternal glory. I charge you to look to Jesus and to seek to see him with ever increasing clarity for your good and for his glory. Go in the grace, go in his peace and go in his love to conquer in his name that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover this city of Taylor and all the earth as the water covers the sea. Amen? God bless you. Go in the peace of the Lord. If I've said anything, talked about anything, you've got questions about, and you want to ask some questions, have a conversation, get some clarity, I'm here. I would love to do that.